You know what uh, I think is happening across our country today is uh, I believe that a lot of people uh, are in fear. I mean, that's kind of Captain Obvious, right? But as Christ followers, you know, we always have a choice. Are we going to submit to our faith or are we going to succumb to fear? And I think this faith and fear is going to be something that we've been going through a lot, we obviously from what we've come through and what lies ahead. But here's the truth that I just want to lay in right before we get started. Isn't it true that faith often deteriorates as circumstances deteriorate? Faith often deteriorates as circumstances deteriorate. You know, and it's also true of our confidence in God. Our confidence in God kind of rises and falls on how crazy times are and how crazy our lives are. And our fear is easily, re- our faith is easily re- replaced with fear. And then we become fortune tellers because we get fearful. We say, well, I know what's coming around the corner and it's not gonna be good. I know who's in control and it's not God. And who could blame you for everything, all the changes that have been taking place, changes in our families, changes in our finances, maybe some of you, changes in your job or in your educational experience, all these changes. And it's easy to start to believe, right now, I don't know if God is in control. And I can stand up here and tell you, God is in control, and you can trust him, but you'll say, well, it's your job to tell us that. <laughs> but, you know, I think if Peter, Simon Peter were here today, he would tell us how we are to respond in the season. And we're going to get more on that in just a minute. But we're in part six of our series, You're Not Far. And what we're talking about is the book of Mark, which Simon Peter, and everybody knows Peter and all the uh, colorful uh, uh, expressions and descriptions of him as a disciple of Christ. For 30 years, Peter went around after the death and resurrection of Jesus telling his story, telling it in the most difficult way or or even the most uh, crazy way. He began to, to tell his story and talk about how he followed Jesus for three years and how it changed his life. But then when he's in a Roman prison cell under Nero, John Mark, his companion that was a writer, wrote down his story. And so Peter is dictating the book of Mark, the story, following Jesus down the road, following Jesus from place to place. It's a powerful thing. And, he, and, and, and John, or Peter begins to uh, tell John Mark let me tell you, this is how it started. It all started with Jesus. His message, his, his title message, wherever he went, Jesus was this. The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. God has done something amazing, he was saying. And you're invited to be a part of it. He's not far. The kingdom is close. And if the kingdom is close to you, then that means you're close to the kingdom. God is near. And last week, we focused on the fact that Jesus is making this trip from Galilee, which is in the northern part of Israel, and he's going down to Jerusalem. He wants to be a part of the Passover celebration. Literally thousands and thousands of pilgrims are making their way. But Jesus used this as an opportunity to tell his disciples again how the order of things are reversed. And he talk, talked about, you see how the Gentiles use the power structure and it's top ground and people use authority and they use power and, and they use uh, things over people, but not so with you. Not so with you. 
And then he said, for even the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And you know, that last phrase could have been baffling to the disciples because as they near Jerusalem, like I said, they're swarmed. Literally hundreds of thousands of people are making their way into Jerusalem. And what's interesting is we read this usually around the Palm Sunday kind of time. But I always wondered, how did all these people show up to praise Jesus and to uh, signal his coming into the city? But what you got to realize is literally hundreds of thousands of pilgrims are flooding into Jerusalem for the celebration. And there's been rumors going on. There's rumors going along the crowd. Hey, I heard that he just raised somebody named Lazarus from the dead. Hey, I just heard he, he gave a blind man called Bartimaeus sight, and I heard him telling his story. And so the crowd is abuzz. And in Mark 11, 8 through 11, it says, Many spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead of those shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. What they're saying is save us. And then they got a little bit political because they were looking for a kingdom, remember? They were looking for a new king. They said, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. And the disciples are excited because they're saying, okay, enough talk about that suffering and and whipping and scourging and all those things that he was talking about a couple days ago. Now this is gonna happen. Look at this momentum. Surely he's gonna come in And connect, and as they enter the city, Jesus goes straight to the temple. In verse 11, it says, He went to the temple courts, he looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went on to Bethany with the 12. And you got to realize that Bethany is just about a two mile walk from Jerusalem. And then they return to Jerusalem the next day. And everything that Jesus is on purpose right now, everything that Jesus is doing is significant. The deal is that most of his followers aren't going to see it until a few days later, until some events take place. But everything that's happening is on purpose. And Jesus goes into the temple, and he creates a real mess. He begins to turn over the money-changing tables. You might remember that in there. And he began to scatter the money because he said, this is is to be a house of prayer, and you've made it a dishonest marketplace. Now, some people might want to uh, interpret that Jesus started a riot, (laughs) Uh, but that's not what he did. He came and set things in order in God's temple. But as you know, the chief priests, which were reliant on those monies and those prophets, in verse 18, it says, the chief priests and the teachers of the law began to look for a way to kill him. For they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. So Jesus leaves the city and returns to the temple the next day, and he begins to teach. And the leaders are attempting to trap him in his words. Their job is they're going to try to prove Jesus false. They're going to try to to, uh, throw him off his game, if you will. And Jesus begins to tell parables, and they're the point of the parable, you might remember when they say, hey, we're right where we're supposed to be. And then he'll tell a parable about how, how a man built a, a vineyard and left it in the hands of those that would run it. And when he came back, they were, he, he rejected, they rejected everybody. And so he had to clean them out and get new owners. They knew he was talking about them. And in verse 12, it says, and the chief priests, the teachers of the law and the elders looked for a way to arrest him because they know that he had spoken the parable against them. But listen, they were afraid, so they left him 
and went away. You see, the Pharisees returned later with even more trick questions, but they were afraid of the crowd. They knew that the crowd would, they could be against the crowd or, or, or the crowd could be with Jesus, and they were always trying to figure out which way things were going. And so they come on and they come in and they, they begin to try to set Jesus up and he sees it coming for a mile when they begin to say, Jesus, we know you're an incredible teacher. You're a teacher sent from God and, and, and we know that uh, you have integrity and you're never swayed. But then they try to trip him up by this. They say, is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we pray? We're still asking that question today, aren't we? Are taxes fair or are they not? But see, what they're talking about here is this imperial poll tax. Every person in Judah, from the time it was taken over by Rome, they taxed every person, man, woman, child. It was about a day's wage. And let me tell you, that was, it was hated. This tax was literally hated. The Pharisees thought this question was a good one because if he answers yes, you should pay your tax, then he's going to get all the Jewish people upset with him. But if he says no, you shouldn't pay the tax, then they know they can get Rome after him because he's speaking against Rome. And you've got to realize this is Passover season. Remember, it's full. The, the city is literally fill, filled with Jewish pilgrims, so anti-Roman sediments are high. People are on edge. But the crowd is silent as they wait for what Jesus begins to say. And Jesus starts checking his pockets, you know, because his robe had pockets in there somewhere. And he starts checking his pockets. Wait a minute, I, I, don't, I don't have any money. So he asks the people asking the question. He asks the Pharisees, bring me a denarius and let me look at it. You see, the Judean Jews were required to pay this poll tax, but they had to pay it with a Roman coin. This is actually a picture of a Roman coin. It's a picture on the denarius is a picture of Tiberius Caesar. That's, that's what he looked like. And the inscription around it said, Son of Divine Augustus. And the backside proclaimed that Tiberius was the high priest of the Roman religion. And so these Pharisees bring him a coin. And he says, whose image is on this coin? Now see, it's checkmate right there. And I didn't even, until I started studying this, I didn't realize, I thought the punchline came later. But you see, according to Jewish law, you remember the Ten Commandments? The first commandment, you don't have any other God or make any image of anyone claimed to be a God. It was against their rule, even, or their, their rules, even to have a coin like this. But guess what? The Pharisees are standing in the temple with their pockets full of idolatry pretty interesting. Everything about that should be offensive to the people. The Pharisees and teachers of the law are carrying around this image, and they're trying to get Jesus and realize, and he exposes them for the frauds they are, and he says, whose inscription is there? I want you to know how, how uh, uh, offensive that image was. You know that five years earlier than this, History tells us that Pilate, you remember he would later judge Jesus, he put uh, shields throughout the city of Jerusalem with the image of Caesar and this inscription on those shields. Not on the Temple Mount at all, but just around Jerusalem. The Jews reacted so violently, they quit work. And there were, there were riots everywhere that they had to remove the shields. 
Do you see the irony of this? Is they can react one way that way, but yet they've got the money in their pocket. So Jesus just kind of goes, hey, if it's Caesar's, you better give back to Caesar what's Caesar's and give to God what's God's. They couldn't throw him, and they were amazed at his teaching, the Bible says. And from that point, no one dared ask more questions. And as Jesus was leaving the temple area, one of the disciples said, look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. You see, Herod had built the new temple area. It was a 37-acre plaza with the temple that was built up by Herod. He had built it earthquake-proof. Literally, the stones Some of them that were cut for the foundations of the temple and that whole area, some of them were up to 500 tons. Some of us have had the privilege to be able to go to Israel, and you can go to Israel, and you can see these walls still in place thousands of years later. But Jesus says, do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. I just want to stop there for a second. Thrown down. I mean, an earthquake moves things out of the way, But if you're saying every stone is going to be thrown down, then that must mean a whole army is going to come in here. And who could do this to our great temple? There's a picture of Herod's temple here. As you can see, this is a model, a replica. 37-acre plaza. So picture in your mind as Jesus says, you see all that? In a matter of time, all those are going to be gone. Everything is going to be thrown down. And I want to tell you, the most remarkable unexpected and what we would say verifiable prophecy given by anyone at that time was given by Jesus. Jesus predicts the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple by the Roman army. And 40 years later, the 10th legion of, of, of Rome came in and they did that very thing. They laid siege to the city and using slave labor... He took every stone and pushed it over the edge of this cliff. And if you go today, you're going to still see these stones laying at the bottom. It's just like Jesus said. It's a powerful thing. What is he trying to say? And where am I going with all this? See, Jesus was trying to get them to the place that he says, something, someone greater than the temple is here. He's come to reverse the order of things. And in this culture and in this time and even to his followers, the temple was everything to them. And they said, you know what? This temple has become obsolete. It's very temporary because I'm going to do something so new. What is that saying is that that makes the you beside you every bit as sacred as the temple. In Corinthians, Paul says, don't you know that you are the temple of God? Now, the Holy Spirit dwells in you and you become the temple But see, it was so hard for Jesus' followers to wrap their mind around this truth until later, until they saw what was happening. Again, what did he say? The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Let me tell you, when the kingdom of God comes near, something's got to give. Something's got to move. If you want to get close to God's kingdom, there might be some foundations, there might be some things that have supported you up all your life that's going to have to get checked. And it says the kingdom of God has come near and all that was left is for Jesus to ratify this new day, this new arrangement and agreement. 
And we read in verse 14, again, we're moving into the Passover festival. Now, the Passover festival of unleavened bread was only two days away. This, is, this was, the city is packed. Get it in your mind here. You've got thousands of pilgrims, hundreds of thousands of pilgrims. Some historians say that Jerusalem would swell almost to a million people during this season, during this time. And where you ate the meal was very important, but they hadn't made arrangements. But actually, Jesus had already secretly made arrangements. And he tells them, you might remember reading through them, go into the city and you're gonna see a man carrying a jar of water. Follow him to his home and there will be a place prepared for us. Well, you say, well, a city with hundreds of thousands of people running around, who's going to tell a guy? Well, in this culture, men did not carry water. I'm sorry, ladies, I don't agree with it, but the ladies would carry the water. So some guy carrying a jar of water is going to stick out. And Jesus pointed his disciples that way. And when evening came, Jesus arrived with the 12. And Peter must have thought, this is it. This is when everything's going to come together. You've got to remember, they had just come out of this incredible time of celebration as people ushered Jesus into the city, into the city as a king. And he had just spent a couple days just destroying the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And, and they're saying, this must be it. It was all right. But then Jesus does something that the disciples never expected. While they were eating, and we just did this today. That's what I was saying. We just celebrated this. Jesus said, remember this moment. Can you imagine being there for the first time? He breaks bread, and he hands it out, and he said, all right, guys, eat this. This is my body. <laughs> you got to kind of read between the lines. You think a couple of them might have said, uh, this is what? <laughs> and they, they partook of the bread. And then it said, after supper, he took a cup and gave thanks and gave it to them. And he said, drink from it. And now it's too late. There's no going back. Jesus held up the cup and said, this is my blood. He was making the Passover meal about him. But he wasn't finished. He says, this is all about a new covenant. You see, this group of people, we got to put our mind back into the first century Jew. It was all about the covenant, the law of Moses. And Jesus said, I bring a whole new covenant sealed in my blood. But they got to say, man, only God can make covenants. And a covenant is usually between two parties. But what does he say? Which is poured out for many. Covenant between God and everybody. We don't need a covenant. It's like we need a kingdom. But it would be days before the disciples understood this. Once Jesus has risen from the dead, they start looking back saying, oh, now we get it. We see what it was all about. And Jesus was, seemed agitated and, and disturbed at the dinner. And they see Judas run out. We all know the story. And everybody doesn't know why Judas runs out. And then they go later like they'd always done to the Garden of Gethsemane for an after-dinner time together. And as they were praying... Here they come. Judas arrives with the temple guard, and they seize and arrest Jesus. And Peter, Jesus didn't resist his own arrest. Peter resisted his arrest. So you can imagine he's telling Mark this, saying, hey, you got to put this in there. I tried to get a guy's head, but all I got was his ear. Good thing Peter was a fisherman and not a soldier. <laughs> we could be talking about something else. But Peter takes one of their ears off, and then Jesus goes, wait a minute. Am I leading some kind of rebellion? You've come out with swords and clubs to capture me. Every day I was with you, 
teaching in the temple courts and you didn't arrest me. Can we get our minds into this moment and how important it was? Because Peter is leading up to something as he's dictating this to Mark. And I can imagine as he tells Mark at this point, and then I did something I regretted for the rest of my life. Peter says, write down, then everyone deserted him and fled. Well, no wonder they fled because it was over. Jesus is getting arrested. They thought he was going to be a king. They wanted a kingdom. He's just talking about weird things at dinner. But it's human nature, isn't it, to assume the worst about God when things are at their worst. Again, what we started with, faith deteriorates when circumstances deteriorate. And so as the disciples are looking all around and say, everything's in chaos. We can't count on anything. So God must not be near. Do we still make that? assessment today and in these moments faith can be replaced by fear and, and like Peter we, we can become like fortune tellers you know saying well I know what comes next we got to get out of here I got to go back to my day job I've got to go back to what I know is true because we're not really sure who holds the future and I think I know what Peter would say Peter would say I get it in an instant, the future was dark for us. I mean, face it, Peter was an outlaw at that point. And he was wrestling with the fact, have I believed a lie? So he tells Mark, he's just honest. I love that about Peter. He always tells the painful truth. He said, you know what? I deserted him with, all, with, with everyone else. Everyone deserted him and fled. And he said, that's my biggest regret. Which led to another regret. He said, the real regret I have is because I thought, well, because of the circumstances that I can see, God is not near. Because of things aren't going well for me, because culture is upside down, because everything's going wrong, because everything I counted on is not going to be exactly like I thought it was, maybe God is not near. And I think Peter would say to us, what the point I'm trying to make is Peter would say to us today, don't do what I did. Don't do what I, don't cut and run when things get difficult. I think Peter would look at us today and say, I would give anything to go back and relive that night over. The very man who abandoned Jesus, the very men, all the disciples, they all abandoned him that night. But I want you to also call to attention that after Jesus rose from the dead and the years to come, they all ended up giving the rest of their lives. And many, almost all but one, died for their faith. They died for their faith. They lived this. They wrote it down. They traveled for miles to tell us this. God is near and you're not far. Because that's the message. The kingdom of God has come near. That's what he entrusted into his disciples. That's what launched the church, is that everything is new. God is near and you're not far. Because of what happened next, everything standing in the way of you knowing and experiencing had, had, that this fact has been removed. The fact that God is near, the fact that you're not far. And I don't know what you've been going through, 
right now. I mean, we're all, as a nation, I think in this, what's interesting about the time we live in right now is we're all facing certain amount of the same things. But I'm telling you, the things that we can see that have been so out of control, out of our control, some of the hardest things is that there are, there are, there are agencies that are starting to dictate control onto our lives, and, and we're resistant of that, and we can begin to wonder, is God in control? And you may, like many of us, man, we're worried about what's going to happen this next week. It all comes down to Tuesday. I'm telling you what, no matter what happens on Tuesday, there's going to be hope on Wednesday. No matter what happens on Tuesday, I have a feeling that the sun is going to come up. I know in Oregon it's always sketchy, but it's going to be there somewhere. You go high enough, there will be sun. And I'm telling you, the truth of the gospel, the truth of what Jesus set out over 2,000 years ago will ring as true on Wednesday as it did 2,000 years ago when the disciples saw Jesus come back to life and say, don't doubt me, I am near and you are not far. You see, we're called to a kingdom. That's what he said, the kingdom of God is near. We're called to something greater. And when all things seem lost, I, I believe this, with all, I'm not trying to put words into Peter's mouth because I believe he wrote it, I believe he would say it, when all seems lost, don't doubt, God is steer, still close. In fact, in the darkest times, and we could have a testimony time right now. In the darkest times, that's when God can be the closest. Amen. And as Peter looks back over those, those hours that he had fled like everybody else, he could go, say, God didn't go anywhere. He was still there. He was working through every circumstance, bringing all things together for good. We need to be reminded of this today. We need to be reminded of this in this season. And Simon Peter would say, take it from my story. And everywhere I screwed up, don't do what I did. When it gets dark, don't run. Trust. When things get difficult, reaffirm your faith in what you know is true. And even when you can't see what might happen in the next few days, you know this. God will be near and close because he's always near and close if we lean into him. Let's pray this morning. Father, I thank you today for your word, and I, I thank you for the fact that uh, stories written as Peter dictated this story 2,000 years ago to his partner and companion, Mark, and as he began to write these things down, I can almost hear him saying, please, write this down so people can understand. People can understand that Jesus came to reverse the order of everything. And God, I pray in Jesus' name right now, you would help us to lean into that like never before. No matter what we've experienced, no matter what we're experiencing, the fact that you are still close. God, I pray that our faith would be stoked, our, the fire of our faith would come to life and that we wouldn't doubt no matter what happens over these next days. And we, we, we can only assume that there's going to be difficult days ahead, more difficult days ahead. But God, you're near, and we have a membership in a kingdom that is different than anything else this world knows. 
God, help us to lean into that like never before. Maybe uh, in the room today and you would just say, you know what, uh, I've had circumstances, just the, the things I'm seeing, the anxiety of culture right now is starting to affect my faith and I'm, I'm, I'm not as sure as I was and I'm, I'm, I'm starting to feel like maybe, maybe God is out of control or what you've experienced has gotten your disappointment bigger than your faith in God. I would just encourage you today. It's not an accident you're in the room today. You can just lean in. I'm telling you, the kingdom is near and God is near and you're very close. You could just lean back into him and just say, Jesus, take my unbelief as one person said to him when he came to Jesus. I want to believe so bad. Deal with my unbelief, Jesus. I want my faith solid in you. My prayer for you today, if you've been struggling with that, is that you would feel God's presence and that you would have the courage to turn your face, face away from the anxiousness and the noise of the world and turn it towards Jesus, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus, who walked around a huge, what seemed like an immovable temple that was bigger than life and predicted that one day that won't be here, but what I can do in your heart will always be true. Lean into that today. And if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I just want to encourage you. Boy, today would be a great day to give your life over to Christ. And you can do that just by saying, Jesus, would you come into my life? Be my leader and my friend. And that connect card or, or the way you can text connect, we want to help you with the next steps in that relationship. Connect with us. We want to encourage you in that walk. Father, I pray you would be with us no matter what tomorrow holds or the day after that or the day after that, we can know that you are near. Thank you for disciples just like Peter that were willing to tell their story and encourage us through the centuries, reaching through the ages of time and saying, listen, hope in God. Don't lose it. Your faith can be sure in Jesus. He is near and you're not far. Thank you, God, for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, uh, I want to invite you to stand today. And uh, we have reinstated our prayer wall. And basically, we have four tables there. If we can pray with you about anything, there will be people on one side of these tables. And uh, we would love to pray with you safely and uh, uh, in an appropriate type of a way that we can uh, pray with you about any need that you might have. And before you go, I want to announce, you know, in just a few weeks, we're going to be talking about our big give. Every Christmas season, we do a big give. And not so long ago, part of our big give was for Carleton Elementary School. They had this covered area, and I wish I had a before picture because it was nasty concrete, it was slick. When it would get wet, kids would slip and fall. And because of the generosity of Family Life Church, there is a beautiful non-skid surface on that court that when kids can go back to school, they're going to walk in there and say, this is amazing. And I just wanted to say I'm so proud about being a part of a church that cares about their community. And what a blessing this was to Carleton Elementary School. I just want to say thank you. Give yourselves a hand. It was amazing. It looks amazing. And they're so grateful to us. So, you know, until I see you again, I pray that God would bless you and keep you, that he would turn his face towards you, that he would literally 
shine his countenance of his truth on your life that you won't doubt for a minute that God loves you and he's got a plan. You can trust him. God bless you as you go live the life. Hey guys, this is Pastor Dave. I just want to say thank you for joining us today for this podcast. You know, at Family Life Church, our vision is to create a safe, authentic environment where people connect with Jesus. And we don't believe it's an accident that you joined us today. You know, if this message meant something to you, we would love to hear from you. You can connect with us on our website at myflc.org. Or you can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Family Life Church Newburgh. And I invite you to subscribe to this podcast and you can listen regularly. But I just want to say thank you and God bless your week.